When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Fit for Success podcast. Brian Semling is an experienced entrepreneur with over 25 years in business. He is the founder and CEO of Blitz Innovation. He has built several brands such as Brian's Toys, a collectible toy business, to several Amazon FBA brands like Strictly Bricks and Clever Creations. His latest adventure is Rovox, a modern athleisure footwear brand which can be found at rovoxfootwear.com. On the podcast, Brian will talk with other entrepreneurs and social media influencers about their entrepreneurial journey, from what it takes to start and run a business to how they may continue to grow their brands and where they see themselves in their businesses in the future. And now, here's your host, Brian Semling. Welcome to the Fit for Success podcast. I'm Brian Semling. Today, our guest is Wesley Jacobs, the founder of Apollo Medical Travel. Welcome, Jacob. Hey, Brian, thank you so much for having me on. It's really good to meet you, uh, get to know you before the show started, and I uh, look forward to talking about entrepreneurship. Yeah, so same here. So just uh, would like you just to start out by telling our audience a little bit about uh, you, your business, and how you got started. Okay, fantastic. So my name is Wesley Jacobs. My background is I was an infantry officer. I'm a 2015 graduate of the Virginia Military Institute, got a degree in economics and business. And from there, I went uh, through the infantry officer training pipeline and ended up at uh, Joint Base Lewis-McChord, just south of Seattle. And uh, there I was um, involved in everything that goes into being an infantry officer, everything from rifle platoon leader to rifle company executive officer, operations officer. And it was it was really great being on the uh, the military track. I really enjoyed it. But uh, I started to see all of these different entrepreneurial opportunities that were out there. And one thing that uh, continuously comes up talking about the United States is how expensive our healthcare system is relative to other countries. And as some background in uh, in college, I got the opportunity to study abroad at the Australian National University. And I took a health economics course there and I started to see some, some comparative economics on like what medical care costs in Australia, what medical care costs in the United States and what it might cost in Europe and why those costs were so radically different. And uh, when you're studying outside of your country, you get to take an objective look at things. You get to sort of look at something as uh, a biologist might look at ants. And so you can be a little bit more objective about it when you're a little bit removed from the situation. And uh, it seems like in the United States, working class people and, you know, even up to the, the middle class, you've got a, a huge group of people who is underserved by our medical care system. We've got worse medical outcomes in many cases. And uh, it seems like if somebody could just travel into another system, they could get the medical care that they deserve at a much more affordable price. And so my time in the military came to a close. I saw the wars in Afghanistan. We're, we're winding down, uh, Iraq was winding down, and I wanted to really actively help as many people as I could. And I thought that if I could just 
make healthcare more accessible, make it more affordable. I could do a lot of good and I could create uh, a company around that idea. And so in October, 2019, I sold all of my things. I sold my Jeep Wrangler, which probably hurt the most. And I moved to Cartagena, Colombia. And why Cartagena? Because I found a, a language school there called Nueva Lengua that had a really great deal on long-term studying. And Colombia has the most neutral uh, Spanish accent. So as opposed to learning English in uh, the Scottish Highlands, it would be better to learn English in maybe New York. And so that was uh, my equivalent is I wanted to learn an easy to understand business Spanish. And so I went there. And so for six months, I spent 20 hours a week studying Spanish in the classroom, uh, a lot of time studying on my own, but I also began to put my business into practice. I hired a virtual assistant, uh, somebody who I had met while in the army, I was in the Philippines. I, I met this person who did virtual assistant work. I hired them to start doing business analysis of medical tourism, how much things cost in different locations, gathering uh, stacks and stacks of contact information and uh, working on my business plan. And then as everything was coming together, as I was really getting proficient in Spanish, it was March, 2020, feeling really good. And all of a sudden the world shut down. All of a sudden international travel uh, cratered and uh, we had two weeks to, to slow the spread. And I was like, okay, two weeks, I can do that. No problem done. And uh, I have thought it would be two weeks to slow the spread for like 20 months now. So at first I was like, oh man, how am I going to build this medical tourism business that is entirely predicated on uh, the ease of crossing international boundaries? Wow. It's so, there's so much more friction. There's so much more friction and uncertainty now than ever before. And it is uh, somebody who needs to travel for medical care, Brian. They have to uh, get over the fact that they're leaving uh, the United States and the healthcare system, like the devil we know, uh, for the devil we don't, right? Right. And so when you add layers of uncertainty, like, do I need a PCR test or an antigen test? Will they accept my documents? What's a QR code? And why do I need it? Do I need my uh, records for other kinds of vaccines? And like, those are all legitimate questions because things are changing rapidly across different countries. And even to, to re-enter the United States now, there are some regulations that are changing. And so it's a disaster. But as I begin to build my network, I realized that, you know, this is a disaster, but this is also a problem that needs to be solved. And that's where entrepreneurs thrive. So I uh, start traveling in, in 2020 to go knock on doors in different cities in Mexico and different places in Costa Rica and different places in Colombia. And I say, hey, international travel is bad right now. I know that your business relies on uh, international travelers to uh, get some of your your larger procedures um, to move your business forward. And I know that that's cratered right now, but it won't always be bad and I'm here to help. And here's how. And uh, what I've done is I've built this... uh, built this platform where people can compare prices. They can compare the quality of uh, the doctors before and after photos. They can see the credentials of the uh, providers 
and they know that they have like the stamp of approval of somebody who knows what they're talking about, who's gone through the government uh, records and who will guide them through the process. Uh, and that's, that's our job at Apollo Medical Travel. You know, for the first like 50 doors that I knocked on, and these are all guys that like I really wanted to work with. I'd done a ton of research on them. So every rejection was like, ooh, man, that hurts starting, starting again. But uh, I finally got our first clinic in uh, May 2020. And from there, like the floodgates opened. We, our, first, uh, our first partner was uh, really respected in the, in the industry. And uh, everybody wanted to be like them. They didn't want them to be making moves that they weren't making themselves. So now we've, we've gotten a, a flood of uh, prospects and we've actually had to cut off like uh, building our network. But that was like the hidden opportunity in COVID. And now as we face uh, consumers um, with all of these new variants, the Delta variant set us back a few months, the Omicron variant sent us, set us back a few months. And who knows what's on the horizon, but we're, we're building quietly. We feel like we're in our uh, little cocoon. And as international travel opens back up, then we're going to start investing in uh, paid ads. We're going to open up the floodgates and get a lot of people who've been putting off very expensive care. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get them into the clinics uh, as things open up. That's a really good uh, background of uh, how you got from yeah, the military to where you're at today. I want to thank you for your service, by the way. Um, I appreciate that, Brian. And it sounds like the military probably at least directly, if not in, indirectly, if not directly, kind of prepared you for uh, some of what you're doing now, just like that stick to and persistence to keep going, like knocking on those 50 doors. There's also for sure that entrepreneurial aspect of like, you have that dream and you, you know, you're not willing to let it die that easily, but it's tough to hear no 50 times in a row. Right. And it was probably right. like in the bigger picture, the timing might not have been that bad, but at that particular time for your 50 first knocks, your timing was probably really bad because nobody, you, they, they might've been willing or interested to talk to you, but at that time, like, you know, everyone's like hold up at home, like you said, slow the spread. And so probably part of the reason you got no's is because nobody was, they probably didn't want to talk to you. And not personally, they just didn't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> it wasn't a time yes. to take on like new business opportunities. It was a time to hunker down and, uh, you know, just survive basically. And uh, so you, you made it through, basically, you got to the other side of a, of a yes. And uh, it sounds like that then was, like you said, opened kind of the floodgates to everything else. So that's congratulations on sticking with uh, adapting and sticking with the plan to, to persevere and, uh, and keep going. So, so that's good. Uh, so you've already talked through some of the challenges that you faced, uh, you know, getting started and, um, you know, to where you're at. Let's talk about some of the, um, so after that initial period, we obviously had to line up clinics. Were you able to get, uh, when were customers willing, you know, kind of willing to start traveling basically. So first you had to get the clinics lined up, but patients, customers, clients, um, for a while, they probably weren't able to or not interested in traveling. So when did that kind of start to change? So we heard in May, you, May 2020, you started lining up your first clinic. When did patients start taking advantage of, um, of your platform? Yeah, so that's, that's a really good question. And uh, the first patient that we had came to us in uh, July. 
So we got May, June, and then July. And it was through, uh, it was through Facebook. And at that time we had something like 83 followers on Facebook. I never met this person, not even in my sort of geographic circles. Uh, saw us on Facebook and booked an appointment for us in, uh, with us in uh, Los Algodones, Mexico, which is just across the border from Yuma, Arizona. And they flew down from New York. This is patient one. Yeah. And uh, made sure to take really good care of him. He got the, the care he needed and was on his way. So that was our first patient. And we, from there, started doing some different things to experiment and see how during this pandemic, we can get people uh, traveling abroad for medical care. So we tried Facebook ads, Bing ads, Google ads, uh, trying to fill our own pipeline. And I think now in, in 2020, uh, 2021, as we come to the end of 2021, it's easy to forget how bad the pandemic was at first, how much more fearful people were, how little we knew, how, uh, how scared people were to like, go um, kill grandma when they came home, things like that. And it is uh, through all of these different iterations of, of paid ads we did uh, as we started investing in search engine optimization, uh, we, we found limited success, uh, but we, we did facilitate our first uh, major surgeries and um, success begets success. So once you get one review, all of a sudden you've got infinite times more, more reviews. So People, people have something to look at. They know that they're not the first one in the door and they, uh, they know that you're going to take care of them. And uh, a trickle becomes a flood, right? And people start talking to their friends and people yeah. start talking to uh, like saying, hey, you know, mom, you should, uh, you should go get some, some dental care. I got it. Uh, Wes took care of me. Uh, I know you've been putting this off for a long time. Saved a lot of money, right? So- yeah, you save a lot of money. But uh, it's the friction is always highest at the start. Yep. And, and I'm not saying it's gone away for us. For sure, it has not. And, and these, these variants are setbacks. But uh, once you get the first, there's, there's more to come. Do you look at the, like the timing of you launching the business almost uh, exactly coinciding with uh, COVID beginning, basically, as far as um, shutting things down? Um, do you look at it as something that has slowed your business down? Do you think it would be further along without it? Or in a strange way, has it, you know, given, has it helped you in, in the bigger picture? Well, as an infantry officer, you have to uh, be resilient in the face of setbacks, right? And as a, a business owner, it's very much the same. You have to keep pushing. Uh, you have to make the best of the hand that you've got. And I do think that there's, uh, I think economically, it's hard to argue that we wouldn't be further along if uh, it was easier to travel. And the, the industry as a whole, as I look around at my competitors and my, my peers in, in this space, there are some estimates that say that medical tourism is down 90% at the moment. That's a lot. Which is, that's just a lot. That's a lot. So it's, it's hard to argue that we, were, we wouldn't be further along. But what are we doing to make sure that we can uh, leap forward as things open back up internationally? We've invested a lot of time building our website and our platform. I've learned a lot of skills that maybe I wouldn't have had the opportunity to uh, had I just been facilitating um, patients. 
it so, may help you lay a giving you time to lay a stronger foundation, a different type of foundation, you know, which isn't which is which could be a good thing, right? There you would have probably brought in more clients and more money, but it might have given you um this experience might have given you a like a longer you might some different perspectives and some different focuses on kind of infrastructure investment, if you will, things like your your website, your networks, things of that nature, basically. So Yes, that's true. And, and Brian, let me turn this around on you. You started your business when you were 16. I did. And uh, I'm sure your volume then was way lower than it is now. And the things that you learned uh, as you, you built your business as a 16-year-old and had your first customers and maybe had your first returns or maybe your first bad, bad review, I don't know. But it's way easier to pivot and learn and adjust your standard operating procedures at a small scale than it is at a big scale. Because if you have one crisis at a time, it's uh, it's way easier to like, improvise, adapt, and overcome than if you're facing multiple crises on multiple fronts. Right. And in healthcare, we don't get we don't get second chances in healthcare. It's, the stakes are very high because uh, even with something that seems very uh, safe, like dental care, it's possible for there to be complications that can result in things including infection, even death in, in dental care, especially with the major surgery in your face. And so we, we take that very seriously. And by facilitating a few patients at a time now, uh, maybe we'll be, be better able to serve a lot of patients in the future. Yeah, that makes sense. So shifting gears, what are some of the mistakes? Obviously, largely you've dealt, you've played the hand you were dealt, and you couldn't control that, but what are things that you've done? What are some mistakes that you've made along the way? So you've, you've been working at this, you know, year and a half, two years, um, maybe a little longer. What, um, what are some things that you would do differently if you could go back and um, you know how they worked out at this point? Well, I think uh, I am slow to ask for help. I am slow to uh, face a problem. And I think I'm very proud to be like a go-getter and a problem solver. And uh, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are like that. And if I could do something over is I would solicit more feedback from entrepreneurs like three or five years ahead of me, rather than like the 20 year veteran of entrepreneurship, who's got a lot of success under their belt. I would uh, seek more mentorship from people uh, three to five years ahead of me in the pipeline. Because I would make mistakes like uh, one thing that I found about myself is I'm really good at doing what I'm trained to do. Like in the army, I knew what to expect of certain subordinate leaders doing certain tasks. So I know what a weapon squad needs to do. I know what a rifle squad needs to do. And as you transition to the business world, it's harder to understand what a search engine optimization professional needs to do or somebody helping you with your Facebook ads needs to do to like truly be good at their job. And by not being fully capable of doing that double check, uh, it exposes you to doing things badly or doing things uh, wrong or being inefficient or spending more on ads than you're going to get back. And uh, that's sort of an experience we had. And during this like downtime, essentially, I've tried to focus on learning enough to like a lower intermediate level about search engine optimization, about Facebook ads, about, uh, you know, how about the user experience and the user interface on the site, all of these things uh, a professional can do way better than me, but now I'm able to manage like contractors. 
What are some misconceptions that people might have about uh, owning a business or starting a business? Things that, um, yeah, what would be some misconceptions that people might have? Well, I think uh, some misconceptions about entrepreneurship is that it's very, uh, it's very stylish or it's, it's very popular to be an entrepreneur right now because um, there's all kinds of influencers. You got Grant Cardone showing off of his plane or, or Gary Vee telling everybody to, to pursue their dreams. And as an entrepreneur, you take a, basically regardless of what industry you go into, except for like a, a small portion, you take a pretty big financial haircut at first as you try to figure things out. And it's only uh, many years down the road when um, your business begins to accumulate, your skills begin to accumulate, your, your relationships and your capacities accumulate, and you start to see more returns than your peers. And so as an infantry officer, one thing I, I struggle with is seeing my friends transition to really good paying jobs at Google or Amazon or Facebook and uh, thinking about what their pay scale was. And as I'm building this business, it's like, hey, man, I can, I can pay the rent. And that's like, that's it for a while. Got to eat your rice and beans for a while. And uh, I think a misconception people have is that it's going to be easy. You're not going to have a boss. You're not going to have all of these things. But uh, you really have to grind for a long time. Yeah, with that that goal, that dream of um, you know growing something bigger than yourself, and eventually, hopefully, you make a lot of money. But there's more to it than that, right? I mean, there's the purpose of you certainly get to control your own destiny, but that includes the possibility of failure or or perhaps not the level of success that uh, you know a friend might have going to work at Amazon or Google if it doesn't work out well, right? So that's the there's an investment period basically, and it can be. Uh, challenging right so yes do you mind brian do you mind if i take one second to just talk about a, a really valuable exercise um of course go ahead. For, for that there's a an author who made this famous named uh tim ferris and the exercise is fear setting so one thing that causes paralysis for people to act is uh not properly um taking into account and then adjusting for certain risks that they face and so in a fear setting exercise, you talk about something that you're potentially going to uh, invest your time in. So for example, starting a business and like, what's the downside risk? The downside risk is your business fails, you lose all of your investment and uh, you're, you're left with nothing. And then if you don't do this exercise, like the, the downstream effect is, and then I die in a ditch and like my life is over, my wife leaves me and my, my dog runs away. And then I, uh, you know, then I get hit by a bus. But like, really, um, if, you, if you do this exercise, you just say, hey, I want to start a business. The worst thing that can happen is my, my business can fail and I can lose my investment. To mitigate the effect of that, I can uh, just send out my resume and, and probably get a new job in a few months. And I think I can recover to where I was in, you know, three to six months or six to 12 months. And I think... Uh, that fear setting exercise helps me a lot as I continue down this entrepreneurship path, because when something like Omicron comes out, I'm like, Oh my gosh, Omicron, everything's over. It's all over. No, uh, but what I can do is I can put in my column, like Omicron destroys my business. Okay. Well, what can I do about that? Like I can experiment with paid ads. I can experiment with SEO and hope that works. If my business craters, 
I can go work at uh, Amazon or Google or Facebook. I'm sure those opportunities are still open to me. And like, I can be back on my feet in a year. And so, yeah, I think, uh, I think fear setting has, has, has been like a really, really powerful tool. And I appreciate you letting me go on that tangent. Yeah, no problem. And just to kind of add to that, as you are liking that, let's say that worst case scenario situation, you're also taking on, you're learning a lot, right? So you might arguably be, whether it be personally or actually for a potential employer, you're adding um, value basically. Like you're having experiences, you're learning things, which, you know, so it's, so there's, there's more to it than just that you can go get that job in a year. You might be, you might be more valuable in that job in a year too, right? So it isn't to say that it's, uh, so there's a lot to be, uh, like regardless of how things work out, and we certainly hope that they go very well, you learn a tremendous amount and probably more so than you could learn any, I don't say any other way, literally, but in general, any other way, right? Like you're just, you're kind of forced to learn a lot quickly. So um, yes, or else. Yeah, exactly. Um, so shifting gears here, how do you incorporate living a healthy lifestyle and uh, fitness in your life? Rovox, where fashion meets fitness. Uh, you know, so one thing that I do is I move, uh, I'm all over the place. And so if you're in a single place, it's it tends to be easier to uh, fall into a routine. It tends to be easier to you know, show up at, at uh, this gym at 8 a.m. every day or, or go for a run around the block here that you know. And as I'm on the road, um, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I would uh, I'd be skeptical of anybody who does say they're perfect. But I try to get gym memberships, like short-term gym memberships, and uh, try to stick to like a very simple five-by-five lifting program. So I'll, like Monday is the International Day of Chest, five-by-five bench press. Uh, then uh, I'll do two days or Tuesday is generally squats. Wednesday is deadlift. Thursday is a lighter five by five session on bench. And then uh, Friday is a five by five session lighter on squat. And if you just say that you're going to do that five by five, when you go to the gym, like it doesn't seem like much. And that maybe takes, uh, you know, 18 to 20 minutes. I always, always, always find myself staying in the gym because I enjoy it. Staying in the gym, doing exercises around the, the core lift of the day. And it, it gets me out the door. Good. Glad to hear that kind of a regular. And I think it's important uh, to have like that kind of that good habit, if you will, um, and routine. And I get that it it probably is a lot more challenging when you are moving, uh, when you're not in that kind of stable, you know, home environment. So you really have to be in your situation as you've traveled around Mexico, Colombia, uh, Latin America, that you have to be very proactive to not like, you know, that habit or that, uh, that goal, basically of being healthy, like it has to be front and center, or it's kind of easy to fall to the wayside and be like, well, I don't know where the local gym is, or like, there's, ex- you can, you can make excuses, legitimate excuses fairly easily if you're not like, on top of it basically right so that's yes and then one additional thing i like to do and uh i i've only done this once this year i'm i'm thinking about doing it again to to finish the year out is i like to do uh like a fitness challenge so this year i did the david goggins is four by four by 48 challenge 
And David Goggins is a Navy SEAL and an endurance athlete. And the 4x4x48 challenge is uh, to run four miles every four hours for 48 hours. Wow. So you start at uh, uh-huh. 8 o'clock p.m. On, uh, on a Friday, you run four miles. Midnight, four miles. 4 a.m., four miles. 8 a.m., four miles. And you do that until uh, 8 o'clock p.m. on Sunday. So is that 48 miles in 48 hours? Is that what it works out to be then? It works out to be 48 miles in, uh, in 48 hours. Yes. Have you done that or you're going to do that? I did it. I did it. I did it and I enjoyed it and it was a good gut check. And, uh, I listened to like really, uh, some pretty heavy podcasts while I was doing it, got my mind right. My ankles started throbbing because I was doing it all on concrete and, uh, sort of like hobbling along. And I'm like, Oh man, uh, David, David Goggins, one of his quotes is, uh, who's going to carry the boats. And I was just like, feeling sorry for myself. My ankle hurts. I'm like, who's going to carry the boats? <laughs> well, congratulations. That sounds fun. I, uh, I do a lot of running myself. I've never tried anything quite uh, as extreme as that. I'm probably a little bit more uh, consistent, but consistent and steady, not like jump. And I don't know actually what your other routine is, but I'm assuming you don't typically run 24 miles a day. Uh, But yeah, my kids are in uh, ninth grade and sixth grade and they do cross country and track and we run uh, pretty much every day and uh, roughly 40, 50 mile weeks or so, but I've never done anything, uh, you know, extreme like that basically, which, which on the one hand sounds kind of awesome. And then I'm like, man, I don't know, like, am I going to set myself up for injury with something like that? Right. It sounds like you made it through it. So, you know, yeah. No, I feel you. I feel you on that. Um, and I didn't just do it from nothing. Like my background in uh, high school, I did uh, cross country in, in college. I was on the ultramarathon team and then the army. Uh, in the army, you're obviously running all the time and you know your, your yeah. limits and your capabilities. And what's the difference between discomfort and pain and injury? And uh, I made sure to push into like discomfort and pain, but not into injury. Yeah. Well, good. And that's, uh, that's exciting to, uh, to hear. The other part of it is sleep. You know, typically you're, you're supposed to, you know, get your rest and so forth. And obviously your, your fitness challenge was kind of like directly, uh, in conflict with getting yeah. on those two days, basically. Um, yeah. I, so anyway, yes, it's an interesting, I, I have not run a marathon, but I've kind of thought about like, you know, breaking it into chunks, like not over 48 hours, but maybe over the course of, uh, six or eight hours, like you described, like four miles, take a break, four miles, take a break just to, uh, but haven't, uh, haven't done it. We typically, you know, like my kids age, I mean, they're typically focused on five Ks and that's kind of what I do too. So more like in the the mile, the five K range where you don't really need to go above, you know, 12, you know, 10 or 12 miles on kind of the, uh, longer side of things, but maybe, uh, maybe at some point down the road and, uh, yeah. so, all right. Well, that's really, uh, that's really neat. And I think that having that, uh, that's a big challenge. Like the four, like you said, you put something out there and that I think just kind of makes you feel um, rightfully so like good about yourself when you can accomplish something like that and, and change it up and, and know that you're going to deal with some pain presumably and, you know, um, and keep going. So, all right. Yeah, well, lovely. Looking ahead, what uh, where do you see yourself and your you know personally and professionally? Where do you see yourself in uh, in five or ten years? Where are you? Um, yeah, where are you shooting for? Yeah, so I think some looking looking across uh, first looking across the pond and uh, looking over to some of my competitors uh, in Europe. Like a really successful business in my space, 
tends to grow to about 30 or 40, 30 or 40 people. A lot of them are working a call center and helping patients. And uh, yeah. then you've got sort of a, a back-end team. And I think that there's space in the industry for this, this company to grow to, to be maybe 40 or 50 people helping uh, several hundred patients a month. And every single one of those several hundred patients a month, I think is going to be uh, saving a huge portion of uh, what the cost of their healthcare would be. And want to be putting a lot of points on the board. I want to be uh, growing a team, mentoring the, the members of the team and who knows in, in five years, maybe I'll uh, have professional management and be able to uh, create another company and, and explore another, uh, explore another space as well. Perhaps becoming a serial entrepreneur is uh, what I heard you say, but perhaps, perhaps. The problem, time, right. Yeah. The problem that I have is so many things are interesting. But uh, of course, all of my focus is on this business. But I, I look at you with a, a portfolio of brands. And I'm like, man, that sounds kind of interesting. I bet each of those has some very different aspects to, to each of those brands. For sure. And I would, you know, just for myself, I would say what I've always liked doing is creating, building, growing, um, you know, when things plateau out and they need to be managed, but I don't see... Uh, explosive growth in front of me. That's where I'm kind of bored, basically. Like as long as something's, you know, uh, seems like it has a good potential for explosive growth, then then it's exciting. And once it just kind of needs to be optimized and managed well, then I can do that. But that's more. That's not what I'm passionate about, basically. So I have built a number of different business units or brands over the years. Um, in that vein, do you have any, um, certainly my business experience in a lot of ways is very different, although there are some similarities in terms of online marketing and so forth. Do you have any questions for me for any uh, insights or uh, advice that I might be able to uh, give? Yeah, I guess uh, when you hit a roadblock that uh, you're not equipped to solve for whatever reason, be it like maybe it's a legal problem or a technical problem, um, What's your process of finding somebody who can help you with that? It's a good question. And I think that what comes to mind is, you know, on the one hand, just the anonymous Google search. And on the other hand, the phone a friend option of, you know, checking with my kind of network of personal or perhaps business friends to ask how they've uh, dealt with a similar situation in the past. So I think it probably depends on how important it is in terms of you know, which direction, but you can certainly, so that, those are probably my, my two answers of kind of like, you know, kind of beginning that Google search and also reaching out to people that I know to, um, to ask for help. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Do you participate in any conferences or like business incubator groups, anything along those lines? Uh, conferences have, I've gone to typically uh, different Amazon seller or online seller conferences. Uh, the Prosper Show is one that's been out in um, Las Vegas. But so I've probably attended various conferences like that, typically one or two a year um, over the last 10 years or so. Um, as far as business, so, and I would say, I wouldn't say they're specifically business incubator, but I would say they do tend to be very entrepreneurial with um, most of the uh, sellers in those spaces were, you know, relatively small companies, basically. And so, um, yeah, I, I have found them very helpful. And, you know, half of it is probably networking and meeting with people who are kind of in your, your space. I mean, for example, in my space, it would be selling online products, not necessarily like the same product or, you know, but you'd, you'd have a lot of um, overlap and commonality. 
And then the other half would be the, uh, you know, just the content of the conference where they would cover everything from, you know, tax to sales growth to future trends or, or what have you. So, yeah, I would say I always found good value in, you know, attending a kind of industry specific two, three day uh, type of a conference. And, and you, you certainly can do those online too. Although uh, the ones that attended were, uh, were in person and definitely felt like they were uh, the right ones were good, uh, good value. Looking in your space, I'm not sure. Uh, I suppose it would be something. Are you aware of any in your space that are specific to you know, kind of the online virtual medical? Um, certainly there's online seller conferences. And, and in a certain sense, you're an online seller, but you're also very specific to you know, medical services. So yeah, it's it's interesting because there's not as a it's it's a much smaller uh, industry um, than you know e-commerce for instance. But uh, we find each other, we find each other, and we found each other on Clubhouse uh, when that was uh, um, sort of taking the world by storm. We we found find each other on LinkedIn. We find each other uh, for like virtual coffees, things like that. But as far as like the big conferences go, they're in the medical tourism space, there are conferences that are typically organized by governments. So Malaysia, for instance, had a big medical tourism conference yeah. recently. Mexico has one, but it's uh, right now all of that is uh, pushed off because the industry is in sort of disarray at the moment. You know, it's interesting as you mentioned the disarray that it is like business being down 90% is definitely uh, a challenge financially. But it also strikes me as you use that word disarray, I think that creates a particular uh, opportunity for somebody who is small and starting and nimble basically to, you know, and that's just at a very high level, right? So I don't, I don't have particular. I agree with you. But I think that you, once you figure out exactly what you're, you know, you, you kind of perfect your process and your system, like you have a chance to kind of set that foundation at the point that the world is at today rather than where it was three years ago or five years ago and the potentially really launch and scale from that newer point perhaps more easily than competitors because you don't have one foot in the past and you know trying to put the other foot into the future so definitely a risk there but it seems like um when I see an environment that's changing or like use the word disarray, like I tend to think of that myself as opportunity because I tend to think that I'm going to be able to, you know, be able to put, you know, work a little bit harder, be a little bit more creative, be a little bit more innovative than the next guy. And I think that's, you know, um, you know, you've spent a couple of years working as I think those are so strong opportunities for you. Uh, but you do need revenue. You do need to get to tomorrow before you can get to five years from now, basically. And it sounds like things are coming back, but still challenging. Like you said, like we've got these kind of ongoing um, delays, new variants, things that pose, uh, you know, potential challenges. So. Yes. You know, one, one way I do mitigate that and buy myself time is, is spending a lot of time here in Latin America, you know, when I'm in when I'm in Colombia, my rent is three hundred dollars a month. Yeah, and uh, you know I can do that all day. I can do that. I can do that all day. So we're going to be here uh, as the world opens back up, and we're going to uh, yeah we're we're perfecting our systems a little bit more every day, 
Um, have you ever have you ever read uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear? Or are you familiar with the concept of like one percent better every day? I am not. I don't think so. Go ahead. So in his book Atomic Habits, James Clear talks about uh, if accumulate the accumulation of marginal gains, and like the the primary um, case study in the book is the British cycling team as they get ready for the Tour de France, and you know, you can't say work harder. You can't say like eat better. Like these things are all like, these are professional athletes. That's what they're doing. But what they started doing is like, how can we get our athletes to sleep 1% better? And like, they started bringing their pillows on the road and then they started putting their mattresses in a U-Haul and uh, they looked at every component of their bike and like, what can we do to make the bike 1% uh, better in this aspect? 1% more aerodynamic, 1% better at braking. And, uh, if you um, can accumulate these these marginal gains, you get some extraordinary results. And so when I wake up every day, I, I wake up, I look at what I've got to do, and I've got a, a list of very discrete things that I'm going to try to do to make my website 1% better, my standard operating procedures 1% better, uh, my ability to control everything that's going on uh, within my company a little bit better, maybe... Um, like in these days, it's like, how can I learn a bit of uh, PHP, the, the programming language to like maybe make some very useful tools for my site that will generate backlinks and then generate SEO, all of these things. But the whole idea of the accumulation of marginal gains is that if you can accumulate a 1% uh, advantage every day for a year, you'll find yourself 38 times better than you were at the beginning of the year. And of course, it's very difficult to think like, oh, am I going to be almost 40 times better in a year? At the start, it doesn't seem like it because you're getting 1% better. It's basically no change day to day. But uh, you look back and you're like, oh man, look how far I can. Yeah. And even if only a small percentage of those work out and you end up three times better, that's gigantic, right? So yes, no, that's, uh, yes. that's really neat. Um, so as we get kind of towards the end of our interview here, what uh, are there any questions that you wish that I'd asked that I have not? I always like to talk about books. Like I, I've sort of spoiled it on my end by talking about the four-hour work week from Tim Ferriss, where he talks about fear setting. I talked about the accumulation of marginal gains with James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. But uh, I, I guess I'll just flip the question on you. Like, What is a book that every entrepreneur needs to read? And I'll make it more challenging. Like, What's a niche book that every entrepreneur needs oh, to know. Um, well, that's a really good question. So the one I was going to go back to from uh, quite a while back was uh, the good to great book, the hedgehog concept. Um, I don't know. I love that, that book. That um, just finding that one thing that you can be the best at, right. And it might be like a niche within a niche, right. Like you might not necessarily, you, it could be like in your case of like medical tourism, like, all right, to be the best medical tourism, that's one thing, but it might not necessarily be the biggest, best, the biggest company in that industry. It might be the one that focuses on, in your, your case, dental implants, or it might be the one that focuses on dental implants in Latin America, right? Or whatever, like that, how you define it, right? Like it doesn't necessarily have to be like a trillion dollar industry. It could be whatever, you know, uh, whatever industry it is like one that you can see behind me, by the way, as we're getting ready for the, as we're in the Christmas season is nutcrackers, right? So that was like a, a niche that we went after and, uh, we have over 300 different styles of nutcrackers that we sell online. And so we went with, you know, with vigor and fervor after, you know, having, creating 
putting together the largest collection of not only traditional, but also unique, like Santa, for example, with a snowboard, Santa on the beach, um, German uh, nutcracker with pretzel and a beer stein, you know, like just kind of all sorts of different uh, examples. So I think I like that one because it's that example where you find what, you know, you, you try to become the best in the world at something and, you know, you go with that and you carry it, you know, that hedgehog concept, you carry it as far as you, uh, as far as you can. So, yeah. Yeah. That's an excellent book recommendation. And uh, I, I read that book uh, last year at the recommendation of one of my friends who uh, is in the 75th Ranger Regiment. So America's uh, elite light infantry. And he uh, said that at the time, the, the Ranger Regiment was obsessed with that. So you're in very good company as far as uh, trying to take the nuggets out of that book and uh, apply it to your business. Cool. Well, tell us where our viewers can, uh, can find more about you and your business. So we are online at uh, apollomedicaltravel.com. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram at apollo.medical.travel or on Facebook uh, forward slash Apollo Medical Travel. And uh, we look forward, I, I look forward to uh, speaking with anybody who's listening to this and see where you are on your entrepreneurial journey. And uh, I'd love to share some ideas with you. And hey, let's get through this. Let's get through this together. Very good. Wesley, it's been so nice to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for your time. I'm Brian Semling, and this is the Fit for Success podcast.